I have a hard time asking any of our REIs, can you do an ultrasound scan? They, they will do it. They're happy to do it. They've done it before. It's just, it's, you know, a sonographer's doing 20 ultrasounds a day. An REI might, you know, do two a week to help one out. So it goes back to, you know, again, patient, how the, what's in the best interest of the patient? Do you want somebody doing this two, twice a week or 20 times a day? Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. The first global brand in the reproductive health space. And if you think there's been global brands before, listen to this episode because I'm talking about consumer brand. This is the first global consumer brand in the reproductive health space. It's KindBody. I've got CEO Gina Bartesi back on the show. After a couple years, we talk about what Kind Body has been up to, all the markets they're in and where they're going, talking about the history of their acquisition with Vios. They've raised tens of millions of dollars in venture capital funding. There's a couple things that I push back on Gina about, talking about this concept of this Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Sam Walton, Walmart type of end-to-end -end channel domination that Kind Body is going after. There's a lot that I'm not qualified to examine on. I'm not qualified to examine on a lot of their business model and certainly not the clinical side. And I know that a couple of you are going to think that I'm kissing rear end when, I'm, when I talk about brand, when I go into that part of the episode. I will fight you. I am not kissing any, but I am telling you the things that I've been telling you for years and I'm seeing somebody do in practice. And now people are starting to feel, oh, this isn't just about bringing new patients in the door. This is what it means to have a brand that is not window dressing. If you think that Kind Body's brand is, just, oh, that's just good marketing. That's just pretty stuff. It isn't. It's the foundation of everything that they've been able to put together. And it is an extreme competitive advantage in recruitment and retention of employees, among other things. So if you'd like some help with that, guess who does that for a living? The firm that sponsors this podcast, of course, Fertility Bridge. And we are helping a lot of different practices across the country to up their brand, regardless of whether they have a patient acquisition challenge or not. Many of you don't, but there are reasons why this branding and creative messaging really, really benefits groups, and we talk about that today. So you can tell me if you feel that I was kissing rear end, if you feel that I was too tough, you let me know. Enjoy this episode with Gina Bartesi. Ms. Bartesi, Gina, welcome back to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you. Thanks, Griffin. Nice to be with you. What has KindBody been up to in the last two and a half years since we spoke? Nothing, right? Nothing. I, I, Not I heard, anything I at all. Damn thing from you all. 
sitting twiddling our thumbs, uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do next. You know, I've always said the success of any business is only about its people. And so we have an extraordinary team. The team has uh, parlayed their knowledge and experience into a tremendous amount of growth, right? So today we have 26 locations, not the least of which is the new Vios clinics that will pull into the Kind Body Network. That acquisition closed February 1st, and then those Vios locations will be rebranded Kind Body. But Angie Beltzos is one of a kind. You know, I know that the audience is aware of all the PE money rolling up practices in the industry. We are not a roll-up firm. We preferred to build de novo, but... Angie is unique. She is extraordinarily talented as a physician, and she is even more talented as a clinical leader. Just as a leader in general, she knows a tremendous amount about business, about productivity, about margin. And so, yeah, we have 26 locations. We'll be adding another 10 this year for 36 locations by the end of the year. And then we're back in the employer business. So we see quite a bit of interest from the employer business. And certainly our consumer audience that we started with is still a big part of our revenue. And then we see quite a bit of payments come from the managed care industry. I should know the answer to this, but I don't. Is Vios the first acquisition that Kind Body has done in terms of practice? Is Vios the first acquisition? I've done quite a few acquisitions in my career, but it may be the first one at Kind Body. I should, it should be an easy answer. We haven't bought any other clinics. I'm trying to think if we've bought anything else. I guess not. So Vios is the first. It will be the last multi-site, multi-physician practice we acquire. Again, we prefer to build de novo. We wouldn't rule out some- This podcast lives forever, Gina. You really want to say it will be the last? <laughs> no, but the, the, the what I said though, Griffin, it'll be the last multi-physician, multi-site acquisition we make. We may make some tuck-in acquisitions, right? Yeah, but even that, why rule that out? Because I know the multi-site physician groups and they're already owned by one of our peers. There are not a lot of multi-physician groups still standing that are independent. There's probably less than 10 in the entire country. And the 10 are holding- Multi-physician and multi-site, meaning multi-site, meaning more than one lab. In, is that what you mean? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Because we wouldn't be interested in- it's too easy, thanks to our extraordinary real estate team, for us to stand up a clinic with a lab. They've gotten very proficient at it in the last 12 months. So the reason we would make a multi-physician, multi-location acquisition is to get scale. There is not, again, there's probably less than 10 of those. So yes, they're multi-physician, but maybe they only have one lab and then one satellite office, which would rule them out. So that's the reason it's an emphatic statement. I think you know, we're getting a lot of requests now from the employer market to think about international expansion. And so potentially internationally, we wouldn't rule it out. But in the United States, you know, and Angie knows everybody as well. We're looking for physicians that are like-minded. You know, Angie, she's wildly unique. And so she's amazing. And, and we have so many other amazing physicians, but there's a culture at Kind Body and, and Angie believes in that culture. The culture was almost identical to what Vios culture was. We, we prioritize patient care. The patient always comes first. Our employees come first, you know? And so there was this, this real foundation and we're here to serve others. And so that's what makes, it's one of the things that makes Angie and Vios so unique. And it's also the reason I think we're limited in terms of other potential acquisition targets is rare to so 
seamlessly be able to put two companies together that agree on so many things. Usually when you're rolling up things or you're putting two things together, there's a lot of friction. The integration is hard. There's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of debate about, oh, and you just don't have any of that. You, you just don't have any of that. We are incredibly like-minded. Now we've known each other uh, a decade <laughs> and that probably helps as well. Well, I want to ask about how you did that vetting because it sounds, it reminds me a little bit of like the Facebook, Instagram, sorry, where Zuckerberg said, you know, most of the time we're not going to do acquisitions. Most of the time we're going to be building out Facebook property, now meta properties. But at the time they saw something that was perfectly in line with what they were trying to do. They stole Instagram at the time for $2 billion and it, it totally fit. And so that's what you're describing with the Vios acquisition. But how did you vet it to that point? Yeah, again, I think knowing Angie and Greg for more than 10 years was extraordinarily beneficial. We had talked on and off for the last several years. Again, I've thought Angie was just as unique as I think she is today. I thought that the first time I met her 10 years ago, I met her at PCRS. And she's so articulate. She listens first. Most leaders talk first and listen second. Angie listens first and talks second. And that's a rare characteristic to be both a leader and an extraordinary listener. A lot of leaders are not as humble as Angie is. Angie's extraordinarily humble. And so I would watch her in meetings. I would watch her interact. I was like, wow, she is a total badass. And I always wanted to work with her. I did work with her. I worked with her at Fertility Authority. I worked with her at Progeny. And as time grew on, the affinity grew more. Like she, she continued to impress me and she continued to raise the bar. I knew her when she was at FCI. I watched her grow Vios. She does everything with a tremendous amount of elegance too and class. And that's hard to do. It is really, really hard to scale a business and grow a company that fast and keep your cool and take the high road and work hard and, and not lose it while you're trying to juggle all these things. And she just did it, you know, and I watched her. And so anyway, you she know, does I do that, by the way. No, I don't talk about things that happen in business meetings on the air, but just at a super high level, I, I think Dr. Bell is comfortable with me saying she does that. We'll be quiet <laughs> and let everybody talk. And then she's and then it's like, all right. <laughs> and then she's on. So like she lets people say it and you get see your processing. And then boom, she's, she's got it. So you described her well. So that got you into the Midwest. So you, you found this really good culture fit for you all, you acquiring Vios and then, and now you're in the Midwest. What cities are on the, the docket that you can tell us about now? Yeah. Well, we want to be completely transparent. So we, we don't mind sharing with the audience, but we're opening Seattle. We're opening Dallas, Houston, Orange County, Miami. Charlotte, we're opening Washington, D.C. next week, two weeks, May 4th, whenever that is. Oh, maybe it's in more than two weeks. Maybe it's in three or four weeks. What am I missing? It should be like, we've opened two already. We opened Denver two weeks ago. We'll open Dallas in three weeks. Excuse me, Denver. What did I say? D.C., Dallas, Houston. I'm missing some. But anyway, that, that's kind of the footprint. Oh, we're opening Brooklyn, a third location in New York. I should have the map in front of me, but that gives you a general idea. It gives me an idea of the near term. Is I mean, in, in a few years time, are we talking about everywhere? Gina, is that the play? Like, are we going to see yeah. Kind Body Cleveland? Are we going to see Kind Body Buffalo? Are we going to yeah, see no, Columbus? We're actually coming to Columbus before we're coming to Cleveland. 
We are, we're taking, and we're adding a location in the East Bay. So both New York, San Francisco, and LA will all have three locations. But I think that's right. Our plan calls for 50 locations within the next two years. We want to be where our patient population lives and works. The majority of those locations will be retail in nature. We you know, believe in the consumerism of healthcare and really building a global brand. We talk about a national brand, so our eyes are set on the U.S. over the next 24 months, but in three to five years, I think you would see kind body locations internationally as well. I want to talk about that global brand and what kind body has done to, to get to what you have now. I am jotting that down because I want to ask you a little bit more, but I don't know if the employer benefit side was part when we spoke a few years back on this show. And so what has changed in in employer benefits from, from when you started Fertility Authority and then and then Progeny that, whatever, what was that, seven years ago? Or, yeah, or, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So what has changed since then that you feel like, okay, we need to be a part of this? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's changed is employers now recognize that having a fertility benefit has gone from a nice to have to a must have. Today, there is a robust RFP process. There wasn't any RFP process. There wasn't anybody to RFP the business to. It was kind of progeny. And then I think you had some legacy players, whether that was Win or Arc, but they really weren't in the employer business. Like progeny had no competition the first four or five years. And then they've got their hands full now with in the last couple of years, there are several kind of other progeny me twos, whether you, whether you, you know, again, you see Carrie, you see store club, you see Maven coming in and they they do care navigation. We sit independent from those folks because we're in the provision of care. So we can also do care navigation, which we would argue is table stakes, but really only three things matter in healthcare, any kind of healthcare, but specifically fertility, patient experience, patient outcome, and cost. It's the only thing that matters to the patient, patient experience, patient outcome, and cost. And by the way, it's the only thing that matters to the employer. And what I have found after building and running the largest care navigation firm as a care navigation or middleman or an insurance company, um, you cannot effectuate change in those three areas. An insurance company or a care navigation firm cannot affect member experience. They cannot affect outcomes and they cannot affect cost. Only the doctor's going to set his reimbursement rate. He's only going to decide how many embryos to transfer. Only he can decide how to give that patient bad news, whether that's a diminished ovarian reserve diagnosis or a failed IVF cycle. But in order to really effectuate change, and really change kind of how patients go through the process you have to be in the doctor business. So today the employers are issuing RFPs. I think in the beginning, large tech companies on both coasts or really in the Valley kind of started this fertility benefit. But today you see requests coming in from very, very large employers in retail and manufacturing and automotive. Like again, it's moved from kind of a nice to have to a must have benefit. For that reason, though, wouldn't those other companies say that Kind Body is not independent, that they're independent because yeah, they're not in yeah. the provision of care and yeah. and that you're able to manipulate the market if, if you end up becoming the yeah. Jeff Bezos yeah. or the Sam Walton of it? Yeah. Well, so we have partner clinics who are very like-minded. We have other clinics that are not like-minded and they don't join our network, but there's a bunch of clinics that prioritize patient care and are very genuine about patient care. 
And they see a lot of volume from us now, a lot of volume from us. So I think that concern of, okay, if kind body sells directly to the employers, they're going to keep all the business. We have too many other partner clinics willing to attest that that's just not the case. I think in the beginning there was worry, but we've been at this, you know, a year and a half, almost two years now. And we have clinics again that would attest to kind body treats us fairly. They pay well, they pay on time. Like there's just too many people out there advocating exactly the opposite. Now, our job is to continue to improve member experience every step of the way. And so, you know, we prioritize patient experience and we do think, we hear from patients, the way patients experience and go through that kind body journey is very different than many of the other, primarily legacy practices. There are some new clinics, again, that I think are, uh, again, very like-minded in our peer group that we have a lot of respect for. It's mutual. But going through kind body utilizing our proprietary technology is a very different process than a legacy clinic where you fill out a paper chart, the nurse calls you, get your voicemail, you get to call them back, they get to call you back. They get to, like all of that waste and inefficiency and telephone tag that's endemic in the legacy fertility programs, as well as the legacy care navigation firms. The, care nav- the challenge with the care navigation firms is you know, once you refer that patient to another clinic, you lose sight of them. You don't even know if the patient showed for their appointment, much less whether they had an ultrasound scan. And for the employer, that they don't even know if they're being double billed. They may have major medical and you could bill that, you could build the ultrasound scan through major medical. You could also build the ultrasound scan through your fertility care navigation firm. But there's a lot of waste in healthcare and in the fertility industry that we seek to continue to get rid of and and operate more efficiently. And I think the employers, and I know the patients see that today, the member experience is significantly different. And I use member and patient as the same thing. Patients are the consumer terminology. Member is what employers call their consumers or their employees are called members. So how do you scale this out at a a time when REIs are uh, bottlenecked with 1,100 of them in the entire country? We have far more people that need treatment than we have an infrastructure to be able to treat them. And so how are you able to expand? How many people are able to be treated? What's the role of OBGYNs or physician extenders in your model? Yeah. You know, I think everybody acknowledges today you have to have uh, physician extenders. You just do. There's more than demand than supply. And the number one thing that hurts a patient is having to wait three, six, nine months for treatment. I would tell you that, again, Angie Belt says your question is about scale and how we serve up enough REIs to handle all of the demand. That is Angie Beltsos's wheelhouse. You look at the physician productivity of her doctors and it's extraordinary. One of her lead physicians did more than 1,000 cases last year. That's extraordinary. Now you have to have the mindset. You have to have the support around you. You have to have the APPs around you. You know, Again, I've spent 12 years in the industry and most doctors, not most, a lot of doctors I talk to are very comfortable doing 150 cases a year. And they say that, listen, I do 12, 10 to 12 cases a month. I sell an IVF cycle for $25,000 and that's my model. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, here are our success rates and here are yours. And I just don't think patients, we have one mission and that is to increase accessibility for all. Fertility treatment has been reserved for rich white people on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And the Bay Area 
and Beverly Hills. And we think there is something tragically wrong with charging $25,000 for an IVF cycle and insisting on cash pay. We think the model has to change. You have to bring down the cost of care. You can have a premium experience without a premium price tag. Griffin, the question is, how do you do that? Well, you utilize technology and you use technology to replace everything that's transactional in healthcare. Scheduling an appointment, we are the only fertility clinic that I'm aware of that allows you to schedule an appointment, move an appointment, cancel an appointment. You can pay your copay. Like everything that's transactional should not be done by an REI. It should not be done by your front desk manager. It should not be done by your RN. It should not be done by any of those people. It should be done <laughs> by technology. How do you pay for everything else? You do it online. Like this industry is incredibly archaic that there's all this telephone tag in doing simple things like paying copays and scheduling an appointment or even hear your medication. Like you're walking down the street, you're driving and a nurse calls and says, turn up or down your you know, FSH drug and you're trying to write and drive and you're, you know, it's incredibly emotional. Like all that's bad. So we own our own patient portal and our EMR. So everything's incredibly transparent. You can pick it up. And by the way, if you forget what the doctor said, you can go right back to your patient portal and remember what the doctor said. So we believe that we can get to scale an extraordinary physician capacity, but we have to have like-minded physicians. The physician that says to us, I only want to do 10 to 12 cases a month is not the right fit for kind body. And if Dr. Beltzos were on this call, she would say the same thing. And that doesn't mean that we want the physicians working harder. It does simply mean we just want them more efficient. Instead of taking down the patient's credit card or calling the patient's insurance company to help them understand why a same-sex male couple cannot conceive and, and meet the 12-month threshold that your legacy benefits provider has in place, like all of that needs to go away so that the REI is doing things only the REI is capable of doing. So I've got to decide because I'm not Joe Rogan with a three and a half hour format that I've got to decide which of these four or five subtopics that I want to go down that you talked about. Let's start with the, you know, talk about like, we agree that we're at a point where we have to use advanced providers. The debate is to what extent? And I just had the CEO of Mate Fertility on debating this topic with Dr. John Storman. And I don't know if that episode will drop before or after yours, but, but it's very much a debate of to what extent. And so what is the limit of, in your view, of where advanced providers can be used or where trained non-REI OBGYNs can be used? So you should know that I do not make any clinical decisions. I have never made any clinical decisions. I don't make clinical decisions today. Dr. Angie Belsos, our CEO of Clinical, will make all of those decisions. Today, we use REIs to do all retrievals and all transfers exclusively, okay? Now, we people know kind body and the knock is, oh, you guys have OBGYNs. Well, 20% of our revenue is GYN. We do complex GYN, right? I mean, again, what 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 we don't, we prioritize the patient. Okay. We just do. And we think when you have an atopic, the worst thing we can do is send you back to a primary care. Or if you have a miscarriage, the worst thing we can do is send you back to some doctor that doesn't have your medical record to go back and do a, a surgery that can be done by our OBGYN on site. 
you build an affinity with this brand and this REI doctor. You hear patients talk about it all the time. Oh, my fertility doctor. I look now. I have to go back to my primary care doctor to get a DNC. Like something's wrong with that. That's an archaic healthcare that has all these silos and bifurcation, and no one cares about the patient. Do my medical records follow me from my primary care, from my OBGYN to my REI? to my mental health specialist, to my nutrition coach? The answer is no, unless you're at Kind Body. At Kind Body, we built the entire company around the patient. And we said, okay, we're gonna blow everything up. We agree that the current model is broken. It's not anybody's fault. It's just history, right? That's how it was created. The REI set over here in the primary care. It's because of how insurance pays for, historically didn't cover fertility, but yes, covered major medical and maternity. But today, again, if you're prioritizing the patient, the patient doesn't want to be shuffled to all of these different providers. They just want a baby. They want it as affordably and as nicely and as kindly and as easily and conveniently as possible. And it's not that hard, but it does mean like breaking some traditional rules that says, okay, your OBGYN and your REI cannot be under the same roof together. We think that's silly. And not patient friendly. Well, you talked about as part of that, that you're not going to make these clinical decisions. That's why Dr. Beltzos is CEO of clinical. And I have to say, I'm incredulous when CEOs say this a bit, because to me, it's not like there's not a perfect divide in everything. There's things overlap a bit. And an example that I was challenging Dr. Andrew Meikle on this from the fertility partners. And I gave an example of client that's kind of like one that you talked about that happy doing 150, 200 cycles, the sweetest person, the, the sweetest people that really love their, their patients are, are definitely not charging them a lot. Definitely. They are below market rates. This individual sees all of their own, you know, they eat, this individual does the ultrasounds for all of the patients. And like, to me, that's where, you know, when you're saying like, you know, we get rid of these transactional things that the, the REI does not need to be doing. That's something that the REI does not need to be doing. In my view, business guy, Griff, that owns no part of his business. But if I own part of someone's business, I think that I would be making that call. And that's an overlap where the standard of care matches with or overlaps with the transactional, isn't it? Is a light bulb starting to go off about what branding really is, what its power is, that it's not just a marketing tactic done by your marketing director. It's not just done for patient acquisition. It involves the binding of the culture of what you're able to do, of how patients perceive you and how they want to come along and how your peers and prospective employees and prospective providers see you and are you the one that is in line with the current generation? Can you at least communicate to them? Or are you seen as something less relevant, something less to want to be a part of? If that's the case, did you know that we have a full creative team? We have a creative director. We have an account manager. We have an operational marketing strategy. We have a digital strategy, all full-time people, plus our production people that know the fertility patient marketing journey of not just the creative messaging, but where it goes and have a system, a fertility brand scale that makes it easy for you to not see, okay, it's just us trying to say we should become more current or more hip, more new, but it can actually say, 
okay, this is where we are at a 1.75, and this is where we want to be at a 3.6. We have that all. We have that all at Fertility Bridge. And to start with us, we're not going to do everything for you at once, but just to look at what you've got and at least tell you what to do, that's less than $600. It's the goal diagnostic. It's 90 minutes with myself, us giving you this framework and going through what you have and applying that discussion of positioning and branding with you and your partners. Go to fertilitybridge.com, sign up for the goal diagnostic and represent your group in a way that is fitting with the practice that you're really trying to build. Because I think you might be starting to see that all oh, this brand thing, it goes beyond just getting people in the door. It's who you are. And if you want some help, we're happy to help you with it. Fertilitybridge.com, goal diagnostic. Meanwhile, enjoy this conversation about branding with Gina Bartesi. Well, so again, this has to go, this goes back to why Vios and Kind Body were so meant to be. Like the way that we were practicing medicine and we thought about ultrasonographers doing ultrasound scans was that's how we were practicing medicine with Vios and, and Angie and decided to come together. Like how we practice medicine and how we prioritize the patient, how we have phlebotomists draw blood, sonographers do ultrasound scans, you know, like what nurses do. We it was just together. Now I will tell you, Angie has upped the game. She's refined the process and we follow her lead. There is no, like, again, the, and Angie will be the first to say that. And the, the business people, take a back seat and Angie is a business person, but she is our clinical leader. So she decides patient flow, uh, number of nurses to REI. She decides all of that. Now, again, the, the reason that these companies came together so easily is because we believe so many things. We were already practicing medicine. We, it's not like you had to take the client that you just mentioned that was comfortable doing 150 cases a year and you had to put that culture with this culture, the cultures went together just like this easily and seamlessly because we already agreed that truthfully, the REI is a subspecialist. This is a well-educated, they've been in medical school a very long time. I have a hard time asking any of our REIs, can you do an ultrasound scan? They, they will do it. They're happy to do it. They've done it before. It's just, it's, you know, a sonographer's doing 20 ultrasounds a day, an REI might, you know, do two a week to help one out. So it goes back to, you know, again, patient, how the, what's in the best interest of the patient? Do you want somebody doing this two, twice a week or 20 times a day? Well, let's talk about the best interest of the patient with regard to what you were talking about. Like you said, you know, what Dr. Beltzos has been able to do with physician productivity is incredible. I was just talking with, just recorded a different episode, different topic. We were talking about embryologists and it was like, these embryologists are burnt out. They, yeah. they can't do anymore because, but the demand is that like, we're trying to get everything we possibly can out of these embryologists. And so there is a tension between what the market needs, the patients need that you're trying to address and what the capacity of the workforce is able to deliver. You said in the very beginning, something that I don't like when CEOs say, Gina, and I, cause I try to make myself choose, which is employees come first, patients come first, which is do clients come first or do employees come first? Do, does my, do managers come first or do customers come first? Yeah. And so what, a, what, a, like, 
when you're trying to meet a demand and, and meet the market, and we know that the market demands five times more than what the field's putting out, you're trying to meet that. How do employees possibly come first? Employees always come first. They have to because the employees will take care. If you take care of your employees first, they will take care of your customer. They will take care of your patients. And that's when we're talking to doctors, you know, and doctors say, well, I used to do that. You know, we want the doctors to know that we can train and teach nurses and front desk managers and, and practice managers to be just as kind and just as empathetic to that patient that the doctor can. So again, employees always come first. As it relates to the lab, listen, there's a shortage of labor everywhere. It's it, the embryologist, there's a shortage. We know there's a shortage in REIs. We have to do a better job of training. We've been fortunate you know, we pay competitively. Our team members get equity. That's not true for 90% plus of the fertility clinics. And so I do think it was really, really difficult for us to hire the first 12 months. But in the last 12 months, there's quite a bit of incoming interest in like, career opportunities at Kind Body. So then how, but I used to agree with that employees always come first. And I'm trying to like, it, like actually live that out now. But I used to believe that in the axiom, I think Mark Spless just said that you know, we have it wrong, that we put shareholders first, then customers second, and employees last. And it should be employees, customers, shareholders, because if you take care of the employees, they'll take care of the customers and that'll make the shareholders happy. And I always did believe that until like, but what about when you get to this point that we're at, which is a bit historic, like this labor shortage that we're seeing, not just in the IVF, well, every, every place in the market, but it's like, all right, I can take care of employees till the cows come home. Anybody's employees can go someplace else right now. You're trying to you're trying to keep them out. And meanwhile, there's so much money in the marketplace that people are coming to you and there's so much demand and you're trying to like, how do you do that now? Yeah, I think again, you have to utilize technology. So you have to go through the lab. Certainly that's what we're doing in practice management. So our product people shadow doctors and nurses to see what they do on a daily basis that's repetitive, okay? What do you do every single day that's repetitive that should be moved to our EMR or patient portal or somebody else? Now, what needs to happen that we're probably not doing as good a job of, Griffin, is having our product people shadow the people in the lab. And it has to do with the sterile nature of the lab. It has to do with, I'm not even sure what it has to do with. You know, Dr. Boslos could tell us, or even Dr. Morbeck, Dean Morbeck is our chief scientific officer. but we have to get arduous task and any task that can be moved to technology, to technology, and then you free up human labor. We've been able to do that on the practice side. We have not spent as much time refining that on the lab and embryology side. I'm optimistic that more economies of scale can come if you just spend time in the lab and say, what are you doing that's repetitive that should be moved to technology? I do know now we've rolled out some new technology platforms to help kind of ease the burden. And then there's this, like there's a there's a training and an input of data and an export an, an export of data that is more time consuming for our embryologists than we would like. But you get through this kind of crunch time of about three months anytime you roll out new technology or implement a new SaaS solution. But we are constantly thinking about how we can use technology, whether it's our own or whether it's a third-party vendor, to free up 
humans, in this case, embryologists. But right now, embryologists are doing a lot of repetitive things that we think that can be moved to technology. Now, right now, they're still biopsying trifectoderms, like a lot of their stuff. They're still, you know, cryopreserving oocytes. They're still doing a lot of things that require extraordinary hand-eye coordination. And those things are, are not close to being automated, but there's still a lot of other things on their plate that can be automated. Well, let's shift gears a bit and talk about what I really want to talk about, which is this global brand. Because yeah. this is the type of stuff that I am interested in. I am interested yeah. in brand. I am interested in creative messaging. And I think it is a huge mistake for anybody who thinks it's window dressing. That is not looking at it at all correctly. And I want to know if you think that I'm maybe exaggerating with this, but I, I don't think that kind body could have gone into all of these different angles to the depth that you have without the foundation of the brand that you had built. Am I overstating it? No, but you're a marketer and a brand guy. You sound like me. Like, again, we knew it's not fertility. It's not IVF. It was intentional. Kind body wants us as humans to be kind to our body. It also does not uniquely say IVF. It could be egg freezing. It could be same sex. Like there's a lot of things that go into this name and this brand. It, it doesn't say Seattle. It doesn't say Charlotte. It doesn't say any particular city it can be a global brand. But we thought about that from the very beginning because I felt like healthcare was missing a real global brand. It's not blue, it's not pink, it's, you know, yellow. We call it optimistic yellow. Yellow is intentionally gender neutral. A lot of people, if you do all of these customer surveys, which marketing people do, a lot of people don't. They just say, here's what I believe. And I'm like, whoa, did you do any research or did you do any customer surveys? But if you do customer surveys on your thoughts about yellow, lots of people associate yellow with happiness, right? Hope. Like there's a lot that goes into this yellow and this name, and it's intentional. All of our locations, is intentional. Do you, we don't have any hard edges in any of our clinics. There are no 90 degree desk. Everything is round. There's again, a lot of thought that goes around this round desk, softening the edges. There are no medical degrees on the walls. Our REIs are highly um, educated. We don't need degrees from Brown University or Stanford on the wall. You probably as an educated patient know that I went to Stanford or to Brown. I didn't, but so we do. We believe there, there's huge power in brand. And now, you know, we've, we've been fortunate. There's a lot of affinity for the brand. And so now we try to, we're always working to extend the brand. And so now we are, you know, we, we spray paint and chalk every time we open a location, it's cool to be kind, right? Because we have to remember in this busy world, and this is before the war, and now there's a war and there's, you know, there's just a lot of challenge. And so we have to remind people, be kind. It's cool to be kind, like lead with kindness. Because kindness is contagious. It's like our yellow happiness. Like, you know, just be kind, you know? Brand-driven CEOs have such an advantage. Like, you being a brand-driven, like when you look at, like, I think Sarah Blakely Spanks, Walt yeah. Disney, Richard Branson, like these are yeah. brand-driven CEOs. And to you, our kind body is the furthest end of a spectrum. I actually have that spectrum. But the it, on the other end of the spectrum is people who think nothing about brand whatsoever and say, like, oh, we have to, oh, that's like a logo or oh, yeah, like colors. Yeah. Like have our marketing director just, just do something like that. And it yeah. is in everything that you do. And it's enabled you to 
to go to to all of these different places. And so I want to talk a little bit about like how that's moving along with the generations because so we made a scale. We made a, a four point spectrum of of the fertility brand and decided on a one, this is your advanced reproductive surgical associates of Smithfield, like the the ones. And then the twos is like Patel fertility, or you know, I'm trying to make up a Smithfield IVF. Right. Very on center. And then a three is like the nicest of your healthcare brands, got a familiar messaging. And and kind body is the is one of the only which we ranked every center in the entire US and Canada. Kind body is one of maybe like the only force, like the one of like one to three force. And so that like, you're the first kind of consumer brand in, in this space. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's intentional, right? First of all, thank you, Griffin. Second of all, it's intentional. It didn't come after the fact. It was, we wanted to create a consumer brand. By the way, you know, we also think now like, and I know Peloton's been beaten up in the public markets, but we think about Peloton instead of SoulCycle. Like we've talked about how magical Dr. Angie Beltzos is. Like how can how can we get Dr. Angie Beltzos to be Ali Love or Robin is, or Jess King? Like how can you how can you make Dr. Angie Beltzos global, right? And so we are constantly thinking about the brand and about how we protect the brand and how we continue to do right by the brand, how even in the most difficult, challenging situations, we're kind to each other, kind to competitors. We call them peers. Peers is a more friendly term than competitors. So it's in our language, it's in our culture, like how we protect each other, how we protect this brand, how we cultivate the brand. But again, it, it was very intentional from the beginning. When you come to any of our clinics, or even if you go to the patient portal, most patient portals are ugly. Most EMRs are ugly. Everything, when we should at some point give you a product demo. When you come into our product through the technology, everything is very elegant. Everything is yellow. It's on, not everything is yellow because we have neutrals and other colors, but it is aesthetically pleasing, right? And so you can see all these touch points along the way. We predict your likelihood of success. We predict how many eggs we think you're going to get. We predict fertilization rates. We show your embryos gr growing. We are completely transparent. And again, when you go into the clinics, it's not white, right? There are no white coats. There are no white walls. There's no white paper. 50% of our REIs are BIPOC. I am incredibly proud of that because guess what? Our patients are 43% BIPOC. That goes back between 43 and 50%. But it's intentional. If you really create a mission that says, we want to increase accessibility for all, then you have to have a brand, you have to have visual elements, you have to have clinics that look and speak to accessibility for all. And that's not white walls or white coats or white paper. And it corresponds with the generations too. So on our scale, we laid it across the generation. Like, so you... It picture the generations as like a news ticker. And it's yeah. not that a one was, was like one equals baby boomer. It's just that like the overlay of a one is that they, it was designed or, or lack of design for the baby boom generation. Then a two was you know, bit baby boomer, bit X. And three was mostly X, a little bit millennial. And 
And so the fours, which you're one of very few, is is the the first brand that's for millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. Yeah, again, a, a large portion of our um, new patients come from Instagram. Look at Dr. Beltos or Ruhi Jelani or any of our doctors, and and we encourage them to do that. Like we are kind, but we're also fun and competitive, and we're like, okay, who can you know create the <laughs> our competitions? Like who could create the funniest TikTok video? <laughs> like I don't know. We're having fun practicing medicine helping our patients build the families of their dreams. And that doesn't have to be white and sterile and old, right? It can be fresh and it can be fun. And so, you know, when we think about brand, we have competitions of who can create the most fun TikTok video. The majority of REIs that got your one, two, and maybe even some of your threes are like, uh, TikTok? Like, is that tic-tac-toe? What is TikTok? You know? And so, but we are constantly thinking, we, we want to be better than we are today. All of us do. That's the competition in us. Okay. We have an extraordinary brand today. Like, how do we take it up a notch? And we're, we're trying to think about what's happening new on, on Instagram. And do we call our locations? Like, is it Kind Body ATL? Is, is it Kind Body Bay Area? Do you start then to segment these markets or is it just one brand? But we think about brand every single day. We think about culture every single day. Talk about how those two are are together because I'm, try, I'm just finishing an article called The Difference Between Brand and, and Culture, where they, where they converge and where they diverge. And so I think like so many, I'm finally starting to get people interested in branding and creative messaging for like how they set expectations with their patients and how they get their team to be cohesive around something as opposed to they don't care about patient acquisition right now because everybody's slammed that's how i started in this marketing field was marketing patient acquisition but it's like no this is how you get people in in like in, as a part of something so i want you to talk about the culture because i'm thinking like bef gina before I look at somebody's LinkedIn profile to like see what they I know that they went to work for Kind Body because I see them in the yellow, you know, in, in the background. And so talk a bit about how you use the brand for culture. Yeah, I think a lot of it starts with humility, right? The brand is humble. It's not anybody's last name. It's not, you know, and our culture really starts with this humility, right? So those two things are ingrained. I think it's not just humility too, it's a vulnerability to it. You know, it's also our brand and our culture. We do embrace risk. You know, we tell our doctors, we're like, embrace risk, do something crazy on TikTok. And you tell a doctor to, or a scientist, <laughs> embrace risk. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a doctor. I don't embrace risk. Except that if you teach them, we're not talking about embracing risk when it comes to a prognosis of, an onco patient, we're talking about taking risk as it relates to the brand, as it relates to culture. Allow yourself to have fun. Allow yourself to smile. Giving devastating news, another failed pregnancy test is hard. It's hard. And we're so glad you're empathetic to your patient. But outside of that, how can we make you smile? How can you be cheery and yellow and optimistic? And so we believe that there's a lot of similarities that brand and culture do go together. And I don't think our brand would be as successful if our culture wasn't so strong. And I don't think our culture would be so strong if our brand wasn't um, so strong. And I think the other thing that I would say about culture and brand is team. 
right? I think too often, you know, healthcare people and, and doctors in particular may think solo first, like oh, I'm a doctor and at hierarchical and solo. And those are not things that belong in our brand or our culture. We don't do anything singularly, not any of us. And Dr. Beltzos would say the same thing. And Beth Eckstrock, Greg Pullis, none of us do anything by ourselves. And that's intentional. We make group collaborative decisions. And same thing with our brand. It's we invite feedback. We invite constructive feedback, constructive criticism, because we want to get better every day. And again, that goes back to our brand and our culture. And with recruitment, too, I have to believe that that's giving you an edge because just look, all right, so you look at a one, baby boomers, who's answering your phones? Yeah. Uh, who's, uh, like it, who's not even answering, who, who are the docs now? Who's buying in? And so yeah. I have to believe that, you know, it's like in these places that are like, ah, oh, you know, we're busy as can be with, with new patients. But what is it like with people that like, do they want to come work? for you? Like, are they excited about, are they behind a mission yeah, they, together they, that they will go and express to their friends of like, this is who I effing work for and you better know about them. They are. Uh, and they do. That's recent though. It's just in the last 12 to 18 months, you know, Dr. Lynn Westfall was our first REI and our chief medical officer. And it was hard, even with Lynn's reputation. And, and she has an extraordinary reputation and is a member of SART, a legacy member and, and of ASRM and SART and a phenomenal reputation. But remember doctors, I said, are notoriously risk adverse. You encourage them to take risk and they're like, whoa. And so in the beginning, the Kind Body was, you know, another startup. And, you know, we started in a mobile clinic that was oriented towards the brand and service. We're going to bring care. Whoa, 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 Griffin. We're going to bring care to the consumer. You don't have to come to me. I'm going to come to you. And the doctors are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have a mobile clinic. You're going to the patient. We don't do that. Patients come see me. They wait months to see me. And I'm like, why are you bragging about patients waiting to see you? Like something's unconscionable that a doctor would brag that you're, you have these long waiting lists. What? Don't stop bragging. Stop bragging. It's not good for the patients. So that's We're thinking like an individual contributor as opposed to an entrepreneur, though, because the entrepreneur wants to scale the individual con contributor once, you know, it's like, oh, sweet, I'm the best. Yeah. Well, and again, I think now we have, if you count all of our providers, the APPs, the REIs, the OBGYNs, there's 65 or 70 of them now. Maybe it's 75 or 80. I'm losing. But there's enough now in the industry that. They do call, you know, they do call and say, hey, is Kind Body hiring? We have a, in our Slack channel, we have a new hire and there's a big referral network through the doctors and the embryologists. So it's gotten significantly easier in the last 12 to 18 months. And then again, you look at these extraordinary leaders on the clinical side and again, both our scientific lab side as well as our practice side. I know the criticism that I'm going to get after this episode, which is I've been blowing sunshine for Kind Body for the last 15 minutes. And so, no, I'm not because one, I can't evaluate you on a clinical level. I'm not qualified to do that ever. Yep. And, and even I'm not qualified to evaluate you all on many of the areas of, of your business model. I don't know. I don't know if they're good or bad. What? My wheelhouse is brand and creative messaging. And for those of everybody listening knows that that's what I care about most. 
and I'm not making this up. You can look at our scale. If you want, you can look at our spectrum. It's empirical. Kind body is a four on that. And I think it is a huge advantage that the other networks don't have. Again, oh, you're blowing sunshine. No, I'm not. This is an advantage. The other networks have a disadvantage of your their IGA. If anybody remembers the IGA, super, you know, yeah. that, or, or like a true value. They bought hardware stores where KindBody has the Starbucks advantage. I think it's such a disadvantage for these networks that are that are going for scale to not have any of the advantages of scale that come from brand, which is not window dressing for all of the reasons that we just talked about. That instead of it's where Joe's Coffee in Seattle brought to you by where we're coffee roasters of Denver brought to you by so-and-so over here versus we're Starbucks, we're Starbucks, we're Starbucks. Right. And that there's something about that, that, that pretty lady in green that unites the customer to be able to recognize something, to, that unites them to be able to express it themselves as opposed to just someplace else. And the employees that want to and do work for there, it's like, this is what we're about. And so when did that, when did you know that that was going to be a thing? Like, when did you think about doing it the other way at first? Like, oh, no. maybe we'll be a network and. No, we were always going to establish a brand. We were always going to have these warm colors. We had three focus groups, three dinners and three focus groups. So six meetings. And we would pull the audience. Do you like yellow? Do you like purple? Do you like warm? Do you like hard edges? Do you like blue? Like this brand is where it is because we gave the brand to consumers, to future patients, to existing patients and future patients. And this is before COVID. You know, we had in-person meetings. We sent out surveys. We still survey patients. We want to know, because I think if you, you establish a brand three and a half years ago, you ought to check in on it every four to six months to say, hey, am I on the right track? We do, we measure NPS. We are maniacal. We have a 90 NPS, which is unheard of in the healthcare field. It's definitely unheard of in the fertility field, but we measure every single, we want to know from patients how we're doing. We want to know that patients have this affinity for the brand. We want doctors and nurses and our front desk team to feel an affinity and a protector of this brand. So you know, thank you for the accolades and the kudos. If you were able to measure our clinical success rates, like we have a responsibility to report to the CDC and SART, you will see that they are above the national average. Now, they're above the national average because we are big proponents of PGTA, but they are in line with our peer group. And I think that was, you know, everybody said, okay, you can build a brand, but maybe your clinical quality would have to sacrifice. Oh, well, you know, how are you able to offer an IVF cycle at 25 to 30% less than everybody else? Like you use technology, you know, Dr. Nicole Noyce just joined Kind Body in New York and you, and patients are now going to be able to see Dr. Noyce at 30% less than they were paying at Northwell NYU. Okay. I am ecstatic about that. I am so happy for a patient because many patients that 30% additional charge would have been out of reach, much less patients that have to go through two or three or four cycles. So we are continue to be on a mission to provide more accessibility for all, a premium experience without a premium price tag. I, I want to say something about Kind Body that I've been reluctant to say about two other companies too. And the reason I haven't said this is uh, either in an article or on the show is because 
I think that people will either think that I'm insulting them or that I'm propagating them. And I'm really not doing either. I'm really just saying, mucho ojo, pay attention, like really pay attention to what they're doing that I don't feel get enough respect. And, and what, so I mean, like I'm saying, like, I don't feel like they get enough respect. What I mean is pay attention. And that's you all, it's Fertility IQ, it's CNY Fertility. And, and so like where you are in this journey, I don't remember if it was Nelson Mandela or Desmond Tuhu that says, you know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they join it. Where do you feel you are on that trajectory? It's hard to group everybody in the same bucket because I think, you know, the end, I think some are still fighting, some have already joined. And then some are still making fun of us, despite our clinical success rates, despite we have 84 clients, they're Fortune 50 customers, they're big blue chip customers. You know, we have a sign in every single kind body location and is, we have lots of art because we think art goes back to the quality of the brand. But there's a sign that says, underestimate me, that will be fun. And so, so listen, we don't mind like, I've had a lot of criticism throughout my career. You get tougher at it. You get accustomed to the criticism because you're doing something new. So underestimate me. That'll be fun. What is on the horizon for you all? What does Kind Body need to accomplish in the next year or, and more interestingly, what's going to happen next with the brand? You know, again, I, we've talked a little bit about it, but I think you'll see the brand globally. And I think you're going to see the brand more in anything, Griffin, where we let go of the patient. If you prioritize the patient, but then you send the patient out for genetic testing, or you send the patient out for carrier screening, or you send the patient out for donor egg or donor sperm or surrogacy, when we let go of our patient, that makes us nervous because we are maniacal about patient care. And we're not sure that all of the other people that we're referring the business to are as patient-centered as we are. Yes, we trust them are, then they're our partner today. But I do think you'll see us extend the brand to other ancillary businesses where we may be outsourcing now, we're gonna pull those services in-house. You know, I want us to be a leading brand amongst same-sex men, amongst uh, single moms by choice. We've done a really great job, I was gonna say, um, same-sex women, but we have a lot of same-sex women that trust this brand. But I just want it, I, again, we're, we're so oriented towards this mission to increase accessibility for all. Why didn't venture come into this before? So when I have David uh, Sable on this show, we talk about uh, you know, private equity, they're buying clinics. It's their model to, to buy clinics. Venture capital is looking for something that will scale. So they're normally looking at like AI or software, you know, other, other kinds of tech because they want that scale. And many of them don't feel like, oh yeah, clinic model is something that we can scale. What, how are you able to pitch this to venture to say, oh yeah, this isn't a private equity play. This is actually something that we can scale. You know, it probably goes back to track record. I think venture capital people are fearful of CapEx heavy businesses like standing up four wall clinics. You know, before we hired a single doctor or stood up a clinic, we own our own technology. We invest in it. We have 55 engineers and engineering and IT and DevOps. So there is definitely a tech play. It's one of the reasons our doctors can be more efficient. They can see more cases because they're not doing all the menial work. I know the VC community, you know, and, and so it was significantly easier 
this time to raise money than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. So, you know, venture investors, all institutional investors like pattern recognition and they say, oh, you know, Gina's been able to do this before. Gina's, you know, this is, Kind Body is my third company in women's health. It's my fifth startup, which just means I'm crazy. But, you know, crazy fun. Like it does get easier. You're able to build teams easier. You're able to raise money easier. You know, Kind Body has challenges like every other business that's growing has challenges. But today when we see a challenge versus 10 years ago, in many cases, I know the answer or I know the person who knows the answer versus when you're just younger or you're a newer entrepreneur, you spend a lot of time evaluating the answer to that question that was just posed. Today, questions and problems come up, but I'm like, oh, I've seen this one before. Here's what we should do, you know? And same thing with Dr. Beltzos or Ann Beth Eschbach or Greg or Lynn or any of our team. Like, you have an incredibly experienced team with a long depth of knowledge in scaling other organizations. And that's one of the things that's allowed us to execute this quickly in this short amount of time this well is a testament to the experience of this team. If Dr. Beltzos and I tried to do this 12 years ago when we first met at PCRS and she had on these Christian Louboutins, I'm like, I am in love with this woman. I don't think we would have been as successful 12 years. It'd be interesting to ask her that. But 12 years ago, we just didn't have that same level of knowledge, of experience. That's why my client services firm is completely cash growth because this is my learning speed. Yeah. You know, like it's my, uh, it's my learning speed. I, I, I will probably do faster things in the future, but I'm really trying to nail the fundamentals right now. And cash growth has allowed me to do that. So for those that raise so much money and do it so quickly, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 well, I don't uh, know how old you are, Griffin, but uh, let's assume that Dr. Beltzos and I are at least a decade older than you. And that's the experience I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so does that help? There's hope for the rest of us. Is what <laughs> uh, I will let you conclude, you know, our audience is REIs, it's fellows, it's practice owners. There are a lot of PE and venture people that pop into this podcast when they're doing their all, all of their due diligence and, and studying of the field. So how do you want to conclude to that audience? Yeah, we've been ex incredibly blessed. And I just want to thank, I think the criticism makes us stronger and makes us better. And then those that have been huge, enormous cheerleaders, thank you. Thank you, Griffin. It's been great for you to come to the industry as well and really elevate marketing. I was a marketing CEO, a brand CEO. And so it's good to have other cheerleaders that talk about marketing and brand in the field. So thank you. Thank you. We've been blessed. And what the field was crying out for a D student to come in and build a client <laughs> services firm slowly. Yeah, love it. Thank you, Griffin. Th thanks for coming on, Gina. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.